future. So a few disclaimers. One is, um, this is for parents, but that doesn't mean if you're not a parent or you're uh, elderly or you're young, this is irrelevant to you. There are parts in there that you will glean. Second, I want to say this. If there's something that touches on something specific eerily, it is totally coincidence. I do not write a sermon with specific people in mind. So if there's something that comes like that, that is not the case. The hope of this is, what is God really instructing the homes of Israel? And how does it relate to us today? And I realized I was so convicted, probably because I'm taking a doctorate class, and I've been reading like 15 books on families and parenting. And so... It's got to go somewhere good. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you. Those are the disclaimers. So with that said, let's go into Deuteronomy 6. And this idea of discipleship begins at home. Discipleship begins at home. Uh, Deuteronomy is the fifth book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the five books of the Torah, or the Pentateuch. And it's basically three long sermons by Moses. And Moses is now 40 years older because they've been traveling in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses, can you imagine being with a crowd for 40 years, and now you're ready to, ready to pass on, and you see the next generation rise up. And so he's seen a lot. And he's saying to this young generation that are ready to go into the promised land this, and this is not trying to be funny. He's basically saying, please, do not be like your parents. That's, that's good advice. Do not be like your parents. Why does Moses say this? Remember his parents' generation, their parents? As soon as they got out of Egypt, why did we have to leave Egypt? Was it, was it because there were not enough room for graves? Where is the water? Oh, all we have is manna. And then remember, they just said, you know, oh, now we have quail. It's just overflowing. And so Moses sees the rebellious heart of the parents' generation, and now it's 40 years have passed. A lot happens in 40 years. 40 years from now, uh, all the high school kids, just you might be grandparents in 40 years. That's scary. And so Moses is telling these next generation, I want to give you words before you enter the promised land. He jumps to verse 2, and listen to this. He says, it's not just for you. It's for you and your son and your son's son. We live in an individualistic society where we think everything is just for us. This message is for us. This sermon is for us. God's word is for us. But Moses hits on something here. Good leadership, good success is not just about how you live your life. It's how you raise the next generation to raise the next generation. And success is always measured by how we raise the following generation. That's a lot of reason why Koreans left a country to go to a foreign land in America, not speaking the language. They tried to bring success and help their next generation. So Moses continues, and this is where we have what's called a Shema. It's verse 4, and maybe we could put it up, Ethan, if you could put verse 4. Shema is basically the Hebrew word for listen, O Israel. Listen, here, the Shema. And it's not just here, but listen with the intent to obey. Don't just hear it. Hear and obey is what the Shema is. And God says, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he says, commands them, teach them diligently to your children. And then he goes into some of the descriptions of how that might look like. And so after 40 years, 
I realized, do you think Israel doubted that there was one God? I don't think so. I think they could have in their sinfulness, but for 40 years, picture this, all they knew was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. This generation grew up knowing that God is leading them in a wilderness. They were blessed. Oh, we live in a generation, parents and elderly people and adults, our children knew nothing but 9-11 and cell phones. Did you imagine, like Gen Z, all they knew in this life was 9-11, cell phones, and then a pandemic. So they had a rough upbringing life. Their perspective of the world is going to be different from me, the boomers, and the greats. And so for them, Israel, they're instilled with this truth. We are led by God. We are nourished by God. He feeds us in the wilderness. And God has brought us to the promised land. And Moses is like, I want you to get this. Love your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Love God in a way that all of your being is dedicated to him. And this is not just a command, but this is actually the remedy for good life and success. And so as they go into a land where there's so many foreign gods, different gods who demand child sacrifice and weird, weird givings to the Lord, remember the good God who has shown mercy and grace to you. And then he ends this whole thing with emphasizing, teach them to your children. And so I'm wondering today, if I could ask you a question, and I ask this later, if every parent could do this, and maybe grandparents, if someone has a camera on you for 48 hours and they follow you, by your actions and decisions, what would children think is your greatest love? Have you ever thought about that? If children watched our parents and 48 hours passed by, what would children be convinced of that my father and mom loves the most? And we, I think we would say, oh, I think they'll think I love my job more than anything. I love my cars more than anything. They'll think I love money more than anything. And the goal of this is, would they ever come to a suspicion that my parents love God with their whole heart, soul, and mind? And so Moses is saying, I want you guys to have this for 3,000 years, the place where children know to love God. Where does it start? It's not the synagogue. It's not the temple. They haven't been built yet. It's not a priest. It's not the high priest. It's not Moses. It's not the Levites. Who do children learn faith from? Mom and dad. And so I share this because for 3,000 years, the model of God's design for children learning faith was never the church. It was never the priest or the pastor. It was always the parents. And you know who messed it up? The United States of America in the past 100 years, we actually messed it up. <laughs> I want to show you something. Uh, this is from uh, Relevant Magazine. This is Gen Z. Uh, raise your hand if you're Gen Z. Gen Z are teenagers up to 20, young 20s. You guys are here, so you guys are definitely not part of the one-third, I hope. Highest generation, percent, highest percentage in a generation that do not believe in any God. One-third. Uh, my generation was 22%. Uh, boomers were about 13 and the great generation were 9%, did not believe in God. One out of three young people in middle school and high school and college 
do not believe in any religion. And this is August. And so if you look here, that's the statistic. It's, it's kind of... And so parents were given this. Why did this happen? Because parents have, in the 1960s and 70s, they, we bought into this individualistic wave, and churches fell for it. Uh, remember the movie Jesus Revolution? With, uh, it was a really great movie. There was a consequence, though, and the consequence was this. Churches started seeing, oh, that's what makes young people gather. So let's create something entertaining, have pizza, have some goldfish eating contests, have some funny games, wackiest uh, lights, let's make a concert, they'll come. They did it. And so starting in the 60s, 70s, 80s, churches started having what's called youth ministries. Guess what parents started saying? We're going to go to that church. They have the best youth outing. All my kids' friends are going there. And so what happens slowly is this. Mom and dad starts thinking, I don't need to do this. We have a professional who can teach my kids about God. This is fantastic. So churches caught wind of that, and they made sure they built an education building that had the coolest stage. And what we have found out eventually was kids got smart and said, we don't fall for the entertainment anymore. Either we want substance or we're not going to waste our time at a church. So they stopped going to church. 70s and 80s is when also divorce rates started going up. Houses were fractured. So the place where kids are supposed to learn faith, they're watching their mom and dad curse each other out, throw bottles, get drunk, hit each other, and they're in their room crying. Fathers start pulling away from doing the role of spiritual leading and parenting. They want to golf. They want to fish. Like churches for women's thing. And their survey said the church, if you look at the church architecture and decoration, it's usually 50, 60-year-old women who have decorated. The setting is more geared for them, not for men. Isn't that interesting? In PCUSA, the participation rate of women to men is like two, two to one. And so we see this house is falling away. And instead of teaching our children that God is one, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the current trend is pushing their kids away. So no wonder one-third are growing up saying, I don't want to get married because my parents had a horrible marriage. I don't want to believe in God because if that's what Pastor Jason does, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a Christian. If that's what the churches believe in, they don't believe in injustice. They don't believe in climate control. And so it's just tons of messages that have scattered them, and that's why we are where we are. And so God tells us in Proverbs, again, you, parents, train up your child in the way he or she should go so that when they are older, what? They would have an insurance policy to go to heaven when they die? No, so that he or she will not turn from it. And I'm saying this not to shame us, but to make us realize parents cannot just drop off kids at a church like a dry cleaner and get them spiritualized and pick them up in a dress hanger. What God is saying is, let it permeate in your home, remind them, and show them why you love God, that you love God. And so some of us, I want to encourage us with this. 
a, a big reason today why parents, I've been, I did youth ministry 10 years before I came here, and it's consistent. One of the big reasons why parents have neglected their responsibility to um, have home be the discipleship and faith-based, I think a lot of parents feel insecure and very uh, untrained and inequipped to teach their kids. And so I want to encourage us. I read, a, I read this book, and I want to show you this book. And I thought this was so encouraging for the parents. You ready? Parents, this is a for you. This is an author from uh, Growing with Kara Powell. She writes, no one loves your child the way you do. Can you say, after each one, can we say amen? Ready? No one loves a child the way you do as mom and dad. Amen. You are the right parent for your child. You have what it takes to be the best parent for your kid. We have to believe that. And so we have to regain this confidence that parents, you are put in that reason, place, no one could ever replace you and do the work that you can do. So we have to think differently. We do have to grow. We do have to be equipped. But God did not make a mistake by giving your kids to you. I, my kids may think they, God made a mistake by giving them to me. That's, that's a different story. So we have to remember train up a child in the way they should go. And our primary job, as our children know, did you hear their answers? Parents' jobs to love us, take care of us. They know it. And then the job that God told our parents to do is teach them to love God with their heart, soul, and mind. Evangelism, mission, society transformation begins at home. I am 100% believer of that. And so we, for, we want them to be popular. We want them to be successful. We want them to go to the good colleges. But Jesus says this in Mark 8, 36. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so I have met Asian parents. My children are all doctors. They live in Boston. One's at John Hopkins. They will not put their faith in God. They've rejected him. I'd rather be poor <laughs> and have my kid live in an apartment, a tiny apartment, joyful and peace, blessing others with whatever they have, and know God and be a poor doorkeeper of the house of God than to have my own mansion elsewhere, right? And so God is commanding parents, this is your job. Uh, in PCUSA, we baptize babies, and one of the things that it, we, parents vow is we declare that the intention to participate in baptism, we want our kids to grow in Christian nurture and home. And I have turned down infant baptisms. Not a lot. Do you know why? Will you be faithful parents in a church? Oh, well, I don't know yet. I don't, I don't know about church, but I just want my kids to be baptized. It's like an insurance policy. And I said, do you understand why we baptize kids? It does nothing for them in itself. But in a covenant community, we declare we will pray and help this child as a community and as mom and dad to grow in their faith. That's what it is. And so when they become older and teenagers, they say, I actually believe in Jesus. We confirm that baptism that they had and say, hallelujah, they are children of God. And we do this together with parents and the church. So what kind of foundation are we going to lay our child, lay for our child and 
Paul says this, and then I'll just run through it. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul alludes to, you and I actually lay foundation in our children. That is not the same thing as we save them and we put Jesus into their life. It means the way we guide them, we could lay a foundation for our children. What is your foundation you're laying for your children? Here's what I'm seeing. My, my kid, you are special. You are better than everyone else. No one should ever hurt you. You are beautiful. Don't ever fail that. Now, that's good and all, but when they go to the world and their boss says you're late, your job performance stinks, and you're not carrying your through, the kid's like, how dare you? I'm beautiful. I'm perfect. I'm special. How dare you talk to me that way? And true story, a mom goes to the corporate office to yell at the boss who yelled at their kids. This is 21st century. And so what foundation are we laying? Paul says, I water seeded, Apollos water, God made it grow. And then he says this, I have laid the foundation like an expert. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on the foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. So we want our kids to have a foundation, and it's Jesus Christ. And mom and dads build on top of that. Pastors, adults, build on top of that. So the kid grows. And so this is what this whole dynamic looks like. So back to Deuteronomy 6. God's strategy is have a devotion to God. Parents are to teach them. And parents model for them what this looks like. I want to read this quote from a book I read this week. The solution to lackadaisical faith of Americans, teenagers in the 21st century lies not in beefing up congregational youth programs or making worship cool and attractive. So you guys want to know how to beef up faith of young people? This is from experts. Rather, it is to come from modeling the kind of mature, passionate faith we say we want young people to have. Raise your hand if you're an adult over 18 years old. Can you raise your hand? The answer to overcoming lackadaisical faith in teens is your passion and worship and life for God. They are watching you. And when church is not a priority, when worship of God at home and church is not a priority, they're going to think, why should I make it a priority? And this is what the surveys are showing. And so, so God wants parents to do this. Be parents who teach this, who repeat it, love God, kind of go skimming through this, and then show the children what that looks like at home. So a couple of applications. One is, Remember God in your home. Love God in your home in a way that kids know all of these things are from the Lord. Um, I have the privilege of being a pastor special. It's not because I'm a Christian pastor, but because our kids know I could make triple the salary I'm making now probably within a year if I left the ministry. That's a fact. With my degree, with my business. And I probably could have made a lot more if I never went to ministry. Why are we pastors doing this? And that's the part that my kids are seeing, I realize. And they're saying, he's not doing it for the money. He's doing it because he actually believes and loves God. That's the privilege I have. Why would I do this crazy, stressful job? Not because of the package and the nice parking space at church. But because Jesus Christ is so important to me. Obeying him is above everything else. We have to show what love God, love of God looks like. This is teaching them. 
another one, leading our kids. So um, I'm seeing a lot of this in Christian homes. I don't want to go to church or I want to go to a different church. And my professor at Fuller said three words that are just beautiful, and we actually used it on Michelle. Ready? When your kids say, I don't want to go to church or I want to go to a different church, three words. Can you repeat after me? Not, just, yet. And this is what we said to Michelle. When you're 18, go anywhere you want. You do not belong here. Yeah, well, you belong here, but you do not need to come here. And so what that teaches them is we want to be together as a family and serve God together. But when you're 18, you go find your own church. You put on your faith and you grow. And so Deuteronomy 6 gives us all these reinforcements. Have this confidence in God. And one of the last ones I'll give, there's so many, and I don't want the sermon to go too long. Deuteronomy 8, God basically says, when you are successful, when you're thriving, when your flocks are large and you have a big home, he says, do not forget the Lord. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth. So confirm the covenant with him. God wants us to point all successes not to your job, to your brilliance, but back to God so that our kids know it is ultimately from God. Uh, last survey, this is teens' top trusted sources for learning about Jesus. Bible, Christian, church leader, family, pa pastor, priest, myself. These are surveys that shows kids are seeking to find out about Jesus. Guess where they're going? To home and to church. And they're actually, thankfully, looking at the Bible themselves. And so all of these are how we help our next generation grow. And I want to end with this. This was a picture from last Sunday. David Arredondo wasn't praying with us. <clears throat> and he took a picture of us praying. And I wanted to share at end with this is we're not perfect parents. Don't be ashamed. I'm not a perfect parent by any means. But I looked at this picture over and over again and something was drawing me to it. And the picture was this. When you see moms and dads seeking God and just praying to God together for our homes, you, you feel it, don't you? Don't you feel that? These are people who are not relying on their own power. They are turning to God. They are saying God is the God of our children. God is not one of many different gods. He is the living God. He is so good to us. And who else would we love and adore and seek than this God? I want to personify this into our homes, grandchildren's homes, into our society. And I think this is the Deuteronomy 6 God is saying. We are the Israel today. You live in a land full of other gods. Will you obey and honor and raise your children to follow my voice? And we say, Lord, help us. And God says, I will. Lord, guide us. And God says, I'm already there. We just need to participate with God. Amen? Let's pray. I want to read a prayer that was in the book, and I pray this together. God, we pray that our teenagers and children will be captivated by an encounter with the living God and connect their passion to the passion of Christ. We pray that the God story will be told to them in their community of faith through its rhythms, songs, prayers, creeds, confessions, pardons, scriptures, sermons, testimonies, 
table fellowship offerings and blessings so that over time, the repetition of these things might capture their imagination for the kingdom and infect the body of Christ. We pray that they might become salt and light in civil society where they flourish while practicing patience, waiting for the king. Amen.